Welcome everybody to another episode of Crushing Comics, and we are here to continue our epic X-Men reread together with Faria and Tyler. Today we are digging into Uncanny X-Men 107 and 108, both by Chris Claremont, and very interestingly, this is where the handoff on art occurs between Cockrum and Byrne, so we're definitely going to have a little bit to say about that. Along with these, we're also reading classic X-Men issues number 14 and 15. They contain some revisions for these issues, because Claremont went back and did his own remastering, as well as some backup stories that relate very closely to these stories, even though they were set in the past. And then also, Iron Fist 15 is kind of Uncanny X-Men 108.5. You'll understand when we get there. It's also drawn by Byrne. So we're going to mention it, but we're not going to go super, super deep. But here's what we are going to go super, super deep into. Everything about X-Men. So if you wish to be unspoiled about X-Men, not just this part of X-Men, but pretty much X-Men full stop, this might not be the right episode or podcast for you because we're going to refer to the vast lengthy history of X-Men, especially Tyler's going to do that. And uh, <laughs> we could even mention things all the way up to Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of X. Although, based on what goes on in these issues, I don't think you have to beware too much House of X, Powers of X spoilers. So if we happen to go in that direction, we'll be sure to give you ample warning. So with that long preamble completed, let's begin issue 107, which sees Cockrum having to design a whole heck of a lot of characters <laughs> because we meet the whole Shiar Imperial Guard and the whole Starjammers, Starjammers all in one issue. So Freya, you know a lot of these characters because you know modern cosmic Marvel really well. What did you think about like this is the first issue of Gladiator. Like this is this is it. So I was excited to see where it all started, right? You know, so it, even though I was kind of like a little bit sad that I wish I didn't know, uh, you know, some of these things, especially with the uh, fam familial connection between mm. a couple of characters, which I, you know, obviously everyone knows it now, but it was like the first time it was revealed. Uh, it's because, shocking. Uh, it's so shocking. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, it was also, like, um, another incident. I, I should start counter. Like, you know, number of times Gene and Professor X just rammed into people's brain without consent, you know. So <laughs> kind of also, you know, happened because of that. Uh, but, yeah, so it was kind of exciting to see that this is the beginning of all of these characters, you know. Some of these we don't remember, you know, but some of these are, like, you know, sticks around for a very long time. Tyler, what about you? Do you have a great love for these Imperial Guard characters and Starjammers characters? I do. I mean, um, not so much the Starjammers because I don't... Um, okay, the reason why not so much the Starjammers is because I have not... Um, I have not read the entire, um, you know, War of Kings uh, saga. Mm. So that's one thing. The other thing is also... Um, I read the initial... Um, Star Jammers uh, miniseries by uh, Cockrum, and it was oh. a little bit boring. <laughs> they are so, boring. So, so the thing is, like you know, I will say though, um, fruit didn't fall far from the tree. All mm. the summers are boring. <laughs> like they're boring, <laughs> except for that one, that insane one. The insane one. But, uh, you know. Yeah, sorry. but I mean, Imperial Guards, I thought they were wonderfully varied and, you know, their powers are very different. And, you know, um, and, and I really enjoy them. I, I mean, um, I can't remember when it was revealed that, um, like, the, the way that gladiators' powers work. But that was, I thought, brilliant because it was, like, not tied to anything but himself. So, 
so the question is like um in Wolverine and the X-Men there's like one character that is like yep. the son kid. of a kid yeah That's this guy's kid right yeah. Yeah. okay yes, yes. Kid gladiator yeah. Yeah. kid gladiator who is yeah. like you know just full of like you know just like so like bro like you know space bro <laughs> so i remember that kid and i'm like oh this is that okay i'm glad that that's the connection i will say that before dave cockram has to dive into designing something like 20 characters the first page here is really one of i think his it's most beautiful already beautiful pages it's yep. radiant and he draws this looks more like the next Cockrum run when he comes back after Burn. Mm-hmm. This this just is like so much more mature. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is about it. There's something about the layout of the page and the way he draws Nightcrawler, but it's just really uh, beautiful. And I, I'm very fixated by it. Then after that, I think things get a little rough because he's just drawing so Whoa. much stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of and and yeah. the same for Claremont. He has to just juggle so many moments that I think a lot of my satisfaction here comes from knowing who some of these Imperial Guard members are from yeah. Dark Phoenix Saga when we get a much smaller slice of the Guard. But I do think that it kind of impresses upon you that this is a huge society. Like the Shi'ar, it's not just like the Kree and not just like the Skrulls who we've met at this point, where it's it's primarily that one race that the yeah. Shi'ar has subjugated or ruled over or colonized this huge swath of space and that there's like really not even that many Shi'ar people involved in this, but they are mm-hmm. still the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, and it's yeah. kind of multinational. It's it's also, I think, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's supposed to make us think a little bit of Legion of Superheroes. Uh, yes. And so I think that there's that aspect to it too, because they all have very varied kind of crazy all over mm-hmm. the place looks. I mean, that's the thing with some um, the uh, fictional um, alien culture. Usually it is very mono. So it's right. mono yeah. species, right? Whereas um, in this case, you know, this is an empire. So it has a lot of different species uh, of aliens involved. You know, it's just like, I mean, it's just the way like Earth, even though we are kind of mono species, but we have different race and different kind of uh, interactions. So that's, that's something which um, not a lot of um, alien culture has been presented that way before. Yeah, at, at this least, point in the Marvel yeah, Universe. Yeah, yeah, correct. The other thing, too, is that the fight feels really different. You know, l- last time we were talking about how repetitive the fights are getting. Mm-hmm. But this one, I don't know if there's just because there's more things for them to bounce off of, but it just feels more unique. Like Wolverine has an actually fun moment, maybe the first fun Wolverine moment, <laughs> in, you know, so far in this Claremont yeah. run, where he's like fighting and he like takes the other guy's clothes because he doesn't want to be out there in the all together. I think yeah. Night, Nightcrawler gets a lot to do here. And it's like one of the, the moments other than in um, the Juggernaut fight where like Nightcrawler, Claremont remembers like Nightcrawler's good for stuff. And they're all like, how do we get to the laundry? And he's like, hi, I teleport. Yeah. Uh, so it just kind of feels like, and then also Nightcrawler using his image inducer to back off the other guy who's a big creature. It just kind of feels like this is the beginning of him having a little bit more of a handle on stuff, even Mm -hmm. though there's just so many characters that there's barely enough time for anything to happen. So so to me, I mean, I felt like that it was, it felt a little bit different because there was more character that was introduced. So you could have, instead of like what we talked before, that all the X-Men running up to one character versus now there is different character that each X-Men can run towards. And it seems like there was like a little bit of power, um, either opposing powers or the kind of similar powers. So you can 
kind of stack them with each other. So that was also kind of happening. So you kind of get to learn about what all these other characters can do. They learn about their power and also kind of see that how X-Men can also use theirs. The question also remains, not a lot of days have passed between the X-Men, so why are they so effective here, but not effective there? <laughs> Even though it was all... <laughs> right, it's not like they had a big training period. session in between the... the... Right. Yeah, so that's more of like a, you know, the nitpicky side of it. It's like, yeah. okay, like, you know, I know that for me, well, for me, no time has passed, but people, when they were reading it, probably a month has passed. But yeah. as far as these X-Men were concerned, from Two months. vacation... Or two months, yeah. yeah. From this, this X Men were concerned. It was from the vacation from where Ireland to now. Not even twenty four hours have passed. <laughs> so, you know. And, and talking about nitpicking, right? Cyclops is like, oh, uh, let's listen to what they have to say, and then the. And then the moment Gladiator said, Gladiator mentioned that, um, you know, uh, Lilandra is a traitor. He's like, he shoot his eye beams into, into, into the guy beside Gladiator. I was like, um, wait, what? Have, what happened to just listen to t- and talking first? He didn't like the voice. Probably. He's like, he's like, no, yeah, no. time out. Like, you know, I changed my mind. Yeah, please <laughs> stop talking now. Well, so. and just before that happens, we get, or maybe just after in that sequence, we finally get the the full Eric the Red reveal that like this whole time, Eric the Red mm. has just been a Shi'ar agent who took on like a familiar look on Earth um, just to manipulate all this stuff to try to make sure that nobody would be there to receive Lalandra when she gets to Earth because they want her because she's the rebel. Was it worth it? Did like did we did we need the Eric the Red plot thread manipulating <laughs> all these? <laughs> Not at all. And then this is this is another like you know it's like how many issues we have read so far from ninety like you know giant sex ex not giant sex that's kind of different from ninety six. 96 to now it's like all this could have been like it's like so so much happened but it's actually nothing happened like you know this information could have been given in like two issues and it would have been just the same I'm like uh please you know completely understand it's just comic and it's just why I tell people they shouldn't necessarily start from the beginning of Paramount like it's not that thrilling yeah yeah and the thing is like you know the plot was dumb everything was dumb and it's like you know we talked about it before it's like oh all these people kind of look into like earth as like this old backspace and i'm like well your idea is dumb too like you know you guys are not all that better like you know so it's like (laughs) what was that about and then and also lilandra going after professor x really girl girl well they shared a moment That's yeah, psychic they moment, did. but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. So, but here, Whatever. let me offer a potential counterpart to that, and then see which side Tyler comes down on. Um, this is what Claremont has clearly wanted to be doing all along, and it's like he was handed a superhero book, and he wanted to do space opera, and this guy like bided his time for twelve issues, which took about two years to release of hints, so that he could finally do this crazy space opera thing. And clearly, he goes back to this well, you know, again. And it's what he wanted to do with X-Men, but it's also, like, here we go. This is the beginning of X-Men as space opera. And and you never can remove it from each other, just in the same way that eventually X-Men becomes synonymous also with time travel, because Claremont mm-hmm. keeps going back to that well. Yeah. So it's like, as much as we can say that he was treading water a little bit and issues up to this point, like, he probably was just waiting to know that the sales were good enough that he could do space opera and and, <laughs> and get away with it, right? But Tyler, I don't know, which side do you come come down on between the two of us I here? Mean, he- it's pretty obvious that he's still learning his craft. So, um, and and so as he he was like, 
improving in his writing you know the stories improve together with it and then you know as he gets a better handle of each character um and he doesn't sort of messed up their their powers you know things becomes a little bit more coherent mm. and um and i do believe that um this is kind of like the start of it so the moment the moment that they went to space um everything kinds of like starting started to gel together mm. it could be because of the artist that's coming in next issue but it could also be you know he has been planning a lot of things he has been seeding a lot of things and um he became a little bit i mean his his grand plan at least for for the near future becomes a little bit clearer and also it is shaped by the person that he's working with so um I'm curious actually to see how Iron Fist, which he wrote um, during this period of time, um, does it have that kind of stumbling that, you know, these early X-Men stories has? Like, you know, does he fail to... I mean, you know, is, is he a, a little bit more tighter in his writing? Because in Iron Fist, maybe there's only like three main characters that he, he needs to focus on. Whereas here, you know, you have the old guard, you have the new guard, you have the um, a lot of villains coming in, and he's introducing a lot of supporting characters here. So, yeah, I mean, if we just ran through what he's created, aside from in just these two issues, I mean, there's we have Mora, we have Black Tom. There's been a lot of really significant creationism going on here. But I think the one thing that he does towards the end of the, the issue here, which is the moment that I always take with me from this issue, is Jean doing her rude psychic mind scan of Corsair and coming away with... <gasps> Which at the time, like, who, who could he be? Of course, it gets revealed in the next issue, but yeah. she, Jean doesn't reveal it to Scott. And it's just, like, such a great... I mean, he's clearly a human amongst mm. all of these alien people. And, I mean, he looks human. We don't know for sure that she's human. And then she's, like, American slang and accent. accents. Yeah. And she looks into his... And it's just one of those great Claremont moments. But it's also one of the first times that I... And you could prove me wrong, Tyler. Um, I think it's one of the first times Claremont really starts to monkey with the actual X-Men origins because he doesn't have many of the originals here other than Cyclops and Jean. Yeah. And then here's him going like, okay, let's spice Cyclops up a little bit. Let's go. Which which really he hasn't done too much so far. Mm. Yeah. And he will continue to do in many he other will ways. He'll continue to do like pebble everything, putting in little things. I mean So to um, that point to that point though, like we saw Jean's parents before. Yes. You know, this issue. So are Jean's parents also new thing? Like clamored edition? Uh, or they were there before? That's a good question. I'm trying. Yeah. I mean, we knew. I think they dropped her off at the school at one point. Like we knew that that Jean's parents were alive. Yeah, I mean, I we mean, definitely know that because I think the the way Jean powers manifested was already canon, right? It's not yeah. a Claremont thing. So, um, so definitely her parents were there. Um, there is. Um, I mean, the old guard. I don't think he has. He had a lot. He he could do a lot of things, but before he went back and you know put in some history to Cyclops, um, the new guard he has been doing quite a bit, especially for Storm. Yeah. Right. right. And just to be clear, the um they did appear in X Men Five ever so briefly back in the sixties, and then canonically, without looking at any kind of like retroactive inserts, the next time we saw them was in one hundred four. So he he did his he did his research. He found them yeah. in, in a past issue, and he he returned them. But it's not like they popped up all through the Silver Age, right? Um, 
No, I mean, that's one of the things, like, it was just, I, I was kind of sad to know that. I'm like, oh, I already know this. But, you know, it just, like, yeah. first first reveal, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, it was just the same with, like, um, Darth Vader revealing, like, I am your father. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, boo, I already know this. Like, but, was it, know. but was it from for you from the perspective of, like, here's how this started? Especially yeah. because you actually do know this character, which isn't always the case for X-Men characters, right? Is it the same thrill that when we see early Emma Frost, you're like, ooh, Emma, is it kind of like, oh, Corsair, oh, this is, because did you know that, that that this is how they met, like in the middle of this McCran crystal nonsense? Oh, uh, well, doesn't it get retconned a little bit in uh, the second Telegenesis? Or one of the other one because I feel like this this moment gets a little either way the thing is though I was not that excited because um, the characters were not that excited <laughs> you know so I'm like okay yeah. like you know like I mean Crosshair like you know he is an interesting character and I think like the um, the solo of series with like uh, Cyclops uh, baby Cyclops and yeah, yeah. Uh, then Crosshair that that was a very interesting um, mm-hmm. but the thing is like you know from that point of view, I was like, okay, that's that's kind of. <laughs> well, the classic X Men issue really gives an, a couple of nice moments here. It gives mm. us a few more moments with the individual X Men in throughout the issue. It gives us a more distinct intro for the Star Jammers, who like kind of just got introduced in a flash in the last issue and then saved the day here. So we <laughs> kind of have a little bit more context of who they are. Plus, Claremont hadn't really figured out how to write them, I don't think, at first. And and the classic yeah. issue is from. After he'd been writ- he'd written them many times, so the voices are just like a little bit tweaked, and yeah. also he removes this idea that it's the first time Nightcrawler teleported with somebody else, which is a big plot point in yeah. this issue. But so many retcons have shown so many times that Nightcrawler have done so many things that in his kind of uh, you know retroactive revision, version. Yeah. And in revision, he takes that out. But unfortunately, it actually still is continuity. Like, very few people actually treat the classic X-Men revisions as the main continuity. So we still have to just think that Nightcrawler forgot about the other times that he supported with other people. And this was actually something was, I thought, was um, expansion of, like, it's an expansion of, like, Nightcrawler's power, right? Because initially he's like, oh, you just think he can teleport, and you don't think about him teleporting with someone else, right? And then like, and then and then, and also I think Claremont is beginning to learn how to set boundaries of the powers mm. because the powers can cannot just be more and more and more. So he's like, oh, I, Nightcrawler could teleport with someone else, but the strain could kill him. Right. So potentially he couldn't be like, oh, you know, what why why can't the X-Men just use Nightcrawler as a teleportation device? They just teleport from place to place, country to country, and <laughs> and then you know and so he Yeah, he can only limits. go so many of miles. He has to match yeah. velocity. He can't go into like he's definitely figuring that out, which he hasn't yeah. really for some of the other characters yet, which shows I think he's got a deep affinity for Nightcrawler already at this point. Mm-hmm. I think I think that bears itself out with how he uses him. But let's roll over into 108, which I think has some more interesting stuff. 107 is mostly just Cockrum flexing that he's going to yeah. design all these characters. 108 is where the story gets a little bit more interesting. But 107 also has this thing that I think Claremont used to do is that whenever you see other teams from Marvel appears in a panel <laughs> on X-Men comics and they look like, oh, it's dangerous. Oh, it's, this is dangerous. Oh, this is such a big thing you know that this is a big thing because it really doesn't affect the rest of the titles. Um, they don't cross over that, you know, they don't tie in that much in other titles because X-Men 
and later on X-Men, New Mutants, Excalibur, X-Factor, they are in the small sub-universe by themselves mostly. And so they don't interact that much outside of the book with other titles. And this was um, just the style of the time, right? It was much more stylistic, as we see in the opening scenes of 108, yeah. to have Reed Richards and Cap being like, this seems really big, and have them in your book, rather yeah. than to have a scene in their book to be like, something really big is happening, and then be like, see X-Men. Whereas, like, I feel like now we're always expecting people to react in their own books. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just a different editorial approach to mm-hmm. the shared world problem. So I think you're right. Like this is Claremont. And this is the first time we've really seen this so far in this run mm-hmm. that we've seen the other teams being like, it's such a big threat. Like yeah. Wasp with TL jacket, like, what are we going to do? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I guess only the X-Men are going to be able to handle this. But, uh, but the thing is, like, it's also kind of a testament to how far X-Men has fallen since like 2000 uh like you know what and at least when i started reading is like they're all the events is actually happening someone else's book and then x-men reacts to them before they were the main you know even though it was kind of still uh on a shaky ground and starting uh they were the main uh focus on marvel universe versus like you know they just kind of shifted now I guess. Well, it's almost yeah. It's almost like a difference in scope, though, right? Like how, like the X Men has done so much because Claremont's imagination is so big that even if you take this character that's supposed to be all powerful, like the Hulk, and like put him next to the X Men, like all the stuff that the Hulk has done is like small fries compared to the stuff that X Men has done. So if you have like World War Hulk, it's like how do you write the X Men into that well? and make it seem like it has any weight when when anybody who's been reading X-Men is going to be like, this is going to be fine. The X-Men are great, you know? Okay. So it's almost like Mar. I, I mean, this is just my opinion, but it almost feels like over time... Marvel, like, realized that the scope of the X-Men stories has turned so different than the scope of the rest of the stories that they almost don't blend, which is why people have such vehement feelings about Avengers versus X-Men, because it's, like, almost propping up the Avengers to be able to handle the stuff that we know the X-Men can almost, can already handle, (laughs) and, like, that's part of what's so frustrating about Avengers versus X-Men to me, anyway. Well, what I, so I mean, thoughts. not just AVX, right? There's IVX, which was like the oh, worst thing. Oh, please, no, ever. Wait, no, 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 no! It didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that. I don't know that this that this podcast and video series acknowledges X Men continuity that occurs between AVX and Hawksbox. I think we just assume it went right from the end of AVX so directly we, we into Hawksbox. We only we only acknowledge the plan how Emma Frost and Jubilee takes down uh, Black Bolt. That's the only thing we acknowledge. <laughs> and Dazzler, how dare Dazzler, you? Dazzler, Dazzler, how that's our, dare you, Dazzler? Madam. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Those like how those two ex ex women take down Black Bolt effectively. That's the only thing we acknowledge, <laughs> and we don't acknowledge anything else. So like, before you know, we launch, like fully into the story this story right this is the very first john Byrne and kenny x-men issue where and the feel is different from the first second i think correct there is actually a little bit of story behind it and i think i i mean i read it somewhere before it appears that Byrne was the one who championed to you know his 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 way into drawing um x-men and Cockrum wasn't happy about it mm. when he was replaced. So when he died, Cockrum, he? no. Yeah, when he died. <laughs> <laughs> so, the note at so, the end of the issue of the last issue is like, "Thanks for everything," and it makes oh, it. And then it's co- oh, it's this issue, and Cockrum's like, yeah. "I'm not dead." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and, and 
I think the 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 article that I read or or I heard I can't remember where 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 the information came from was that Cochrane wasn't happy at all. So what he did was this: he told the editor that he wants to remain as the cover artist of Uncanny X Men, and they agreed to that, which was why I think for a while Cochrane was draw, drawing the covers to these issues. Hmm. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, it's... Yeah, sorry. No, no, I, I mean, my assumption would be, like, because he's a cover artist, he got paid the cover artist rate, mm. and then Byrne got paid the inter- interior artist for the pages. I'm not sure how it works then, but, um, you know... <laughs> but, yeah, there was a little bit of a office, you know, politics going on here. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of surprising, like, knowing what we know about John Byrne now. He well, to be on X-Men. But he was young then too. I mean, he's like kind of like, you know, this is a good book to be on. Yeah, and the X-Men star was rising. I mean, Iron Fist was about to be canceled. So it's kind yeah. of like, you know, it's, ha- it's hit your wagon to the thing that's popular. Yeah. And oh, this is, okay. so to to our point, you know, this is Claremont's first universe ending odds for the X-Men, right? They've, they've had to stop some nuclear missiles. They've had to fight with uh, some leprechauns in a castle. But like, this is the first big story that he's really yeah. delivered. And the scope just feels bigger right away. Like we kind of didn't, I don't feel like it was easy to tell on the last issue <laughs> no, what was happening. It was very difficult. There, there, yeah. there was, the, you know, there's the McCrown crystal and then the emperor is kind of mean or whatever but in here it really crystallizes (laughs) it really crystallizes around like control of this crystal is a bad thing and if you let somebody insane you know get connected with it it's going to kind of just wipe out all existence and and this is kind of like a zero-sum game like you have to stop him from doing it and it gets (laughs) sorry before you go too deep into things i just want to add one more to this about the artist this is not the first um, space opera X-Men story that Cockrum did not finish. Why? Because he d- draws the kitty one late? It's not the first one he does not finish. What do you mean? He, because this is he started this space opera uh, story, right? But Byrne finished it in this issue. He started the Broad Sega, but Paul Smith finished it. Well, maybe Cockrum is not uh, too enamored with space stuff. <laughs> I but, know. But the stakes here start to get really much more defined. And as the X-Men are having defeated the Imperial Guard, who are just like, they're, they're done. They're not here anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to fight these guardians of the crystal. And the first one is like a little midget who's just kicking the ever-living daylights out of him. He launches Wolverine into space. But it lets us get this great moment of Jean, again, as her powers continue to increase, um, plucks a meteor out of space and just slams it on the little dude. And he's still up and running. And then we even get Banshee, who like has a moment of, of, of actual planning here and thinks maybe I can overload him with my voice because maybe he's just a machine. And like, I just feel like already we're getting different stuff. Like we, you know, Jean is using her power differently. Banshee is using her, his power differently. And it's just like not the same fight. It's thrilling. A lot more goes on. And then, you know, a lot more, I feel like a lot more planning goes on. Like, you know, it's just like a bit, like, you know, each one is like trying to attack the same problem in a different way. So, which I think shows also their teamwork a little bit more. And also, I feel like, you know, and this rolls very quickly into them going into the crystal, right? They defeat the first guardian, then there's a second guardian. It's even bigger. They they get to the crystal and it, um, and it just, it, it's like the competence 
of Jean. It's like all of a sudden Claremont has fully figured out how competent and useful Jean is. Yeah. And and it all comes through, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm, 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 I'm just going to say this is when I also became a Jean convert. Yeah, talk about that, because we keep building up how great she is and how much we love her, and you're like, we'll get there, we'll see. Yeah. But, like, You'll you actually like, no, sent us a note before this to be like, no. I'm here. Yeah. Right, so the thing is, like, I mean, I, I, all of this time, it feels like she was just awesome, because, you know, like, it, it was, like, not, it didn't seem, like, earned, or it didn't seem, like, okay, why her? Like, you know, um, the Phoenix kind of got her, and then, you know, she kind of had a moment of, like, you know, hey, you are not um, against that, um, the Lang guy, that, you know, you are a Nazi, and then, you know, all that. But then, I think for this is for the first time that the whole team were, like, oh, my God, visions! And she's, like, no, we are going to deal with this we're going to walk through this and then even though she's also affected but she just kind of start to realize that she has this power that she can use far more than what she's allowing herself to do at this time and then she's just going to, like you know very um in like you know smartly uses it to get all of them out of there you know and i think like it's the um i kind of started to like her a little bit when she's like you know the um where was it? Um, the, Eric the Red took Lilandra and then they closed the portal. And she's like, no, I can open the portal and I can get you there. So it kind yeah. of started there. But then now it seems like she's also taking some initiatives. And then, you know, just yeah. even like, you know, not just taking initiatives just because she's the only one not affected, but she's also affected, but she's overcoming it and then trying to help them all out. Well, this is, in line, this is in line with your appreciation of like, competence porn right right because she's competent here exactly exactly and that's to that to that point though it's like it feels like you know um not not just she's not competent just because she has the power but she's more because she's trying to she's figuring it out and then using it not just because that oh with this i can only fly or i can only teleport no she's actually pushing the boundary of her power and trying to do something more Did you notice something else that Wolverine was taken out earlier too? Yes, yes. I would, like, of course, of course. I've, I've been getting tra- count of that too. And also, like, you know, this is like Wolverine. Like, I know that he too got, the, got the um, clothes from someone else, but his yeah. clothes kind of looks like neighbor tubes. Like, oh, like, with, the, with, the, with the necklace thing Yeah, with the necklace on. and everything, even though yeah. he kind of got it from... Well, and Byrne has, like, was pretty much at the same time as this issue, designing <laughs> Sabretooth's costume. Yeah, but it's funny, because Co- I think... I mean, I guess Byrne could have drawn the character model and then Cockrum mm-hmm. co- copied it, but knowing Cockrum, I think that Cockrum drew the model uh, for Correct. the character that Wolverine took this costume. So is it, like, parallel evolution where Reverse. they actually both drew similar costumes or is it actually that one of them influenced the other i don't know and, i bet explain and, the x-men knows if you go and listen right and then i i think i like, i didn't mention it when we were talking about uh the art it's like this is also the first time i feel like i'm also liking storm's face because mm. the way cockram drew her i did not like it at all especially yeah. when it's like a one panel and then her eyes and her everything face. Was kind of, well yeah, her face. strong eyebrows yeah like the eyebrows and everything but over here it feels like proper yeah like a like very yeah very beautiful like you know and then so and the same goes for Jean as well like you know it's just like from that point of view it looks like the character like I could tell like I'm like oh okay this is when a new artist came and sure enough but these are these are very classic uh, burn faces so Mm. you you know if you read a lot of his work you will notice I mean at least for me I notice like I latch on to the female's faces immediately like Mm. okay this is burns this is Burns drawing. 
So uh-huh. for me, that is what that is what um I notice about Burns' art. Um, the other thing about Wolverine is that I think they still have not figured out that he has adamantium skeleton because he's only seventy kg. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, that's not- <laughs> <laughs> that's really light. <laughs> well, while we're still talking about the art, that thing that always for our for our American listeners, that's about hundred sixty pounds. <laughs> Something I always notice about the art difference here is that Cockrum has always drawn Jean very much like a fashion illustration. Like she she doesn't, she's very thin, she has a small waist, she has a relatively small chest, and she just looks like the kind of fashion illustration that you would just like draw dresses on, you know, across a whole page. And Byrne immediately updates her to this more buxom, you know, larger hips, larger breasts comic character. And it kind of like always, like, it's... It, I'm of two minds about it because I do like the way Byrne draws characters in general, but it kind of pisses me off in a way when I get to that panel. It's the panel, right? Well, we'll talk about the whole page probably where she just has a memory of what happened to her in the space shuttle in issue 100. And then she's kneeling there and it's like the, and it's a straight on shot of her and it just makes me mm-hmm. angry. Cause I'm like, no Byrne, like she had her own body type. She looked different than all of the other women in comic books. And you kind of just turned her into this rubber stamp woman, the way that you would draw any other woman in any other comic. And that always, like, really kind of frustrates me, even though part of my brain is like, oh, but it's so lovely. Because she really Mm. did used to have more of a distinct look. But even, you know, the next on that page, the thing I find is interesting is that Claremont has Byrne give us a hint of that whole, that shriveled up gene with her, um, with her Ms. Marvel or her um, Marvel Girl mask on, which Claremont later expands on in that classic X-Men issue that we talked about, but we, like, never really got to see what happened in the cockpit, really, after the end of that issue, but here there's, like, a little hint of it. So it kind of does show that Claremont always had a concept that something happened. He had to Mm -hmm. retcon it a little bit more heavily to, like, make the whole cocoon thing work, but he always did have this idea that there was a scene that played out in the cockpit between Jean and the Phoenix and that she had physically died, um, yeah. Because we can see that he he had Bernard draw it here, yeah. and, so, but and then, it was mentioned like, a few times too, right? In the dialogue that she died and she came back, she died right. and she came back. But but to that point though, because everyone else is kind of seeing things that didn't quite happen exactly how it happened, but true know, fear. So how much is it that it was her fear, not necessarily what actually happened? Well, mm. Corsair does see, I think, almost exactly what happens, which is what happened, um, which is the emperor standing over the body of his wife, Claremont, yeah. you know, um, Summer's mother. Uh, whereas Nightcrawlers is more of a distorted nightmare where we get a replay of his introductory scene in GSX um, where the villagers are all crowding around him but here they're X-Men so it's kind of interesting that it's like exposing nightmares for some that are um, nightmarish and nightmares for others that's more of a truth reality yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, I mean you know that's one of the the reasons I wasn't sure whether this is really what she thinks happened or that really happened you know but I think this, it's, again, it's like Claremont's always trying to establish scope. Like, we've never really, yeah. we haven't even seen Magneto do something like that necessarily no. in the X-Men at this yeah. point, where he just snatches something out of orbit and slams it down onto the planet. But And so this whole issue is kind of this continual escalation, escalation. Of, of Jean, right? Yeah. So now she gets to the heart of the crystal. The whole rest of the team is relatively useless. She's like, again, going to throw herself onto the sword and be a martyr, just like she did in issue 100. And here we have this great moment where Storm 
reaches out for her hand and she's like, you're not going to do it alone this time, which I think is a really significant moment for Jean constantly martyring herself, but also for Storm and their relationship together. I really liked that because, you know, it just like, you know, just use your resources around you. Do not, you don't have to be the only one that is like, you know, constantly sacrificing yourself. And it like also like having it, happened just a few issues ago it would have been just a repeated reputation so from that point of view i thought that it was and also like gives them a little bit more context to that uh, one um backup issue that we read about gene and storm and then it kind of just all brings it together and how wonderful it is that you know among all the x-men the two women did that right right yeah so So it's kind of like you know it's it's kind of different i think at that point in time because you know um in it would be like oh uh cyclops would be the one that hold her hand and give her power because she's so weak and <laughs> that she she would definitely feel you know at that in somebody's hands and i mean that's i mean that would be like the convention in a way so this sort of plays out in a very very different way right and then she also pulls Corsair into things and she gives us the rest of the reveal from the last issue that she now has already figured out that he is Scott Summer's father. And it and the and the way that it plays out here is that Corsair himself does not even know that that's his son, Scott. Why should he? Uh, and yeah. so as she mind melds with him and kind of gives him this information and takes his strength, she reveals to him, but key point, not to Scott, that Corsair is his father. Well, Scott is like uh, already out though, right? Yeah, yeah. but like we come, so, we, we will come away from this we'll without come. Scott knowing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Scott, mm. Scott will not know for a long, long time. Yeah, and uh, then we get the first kind of full-on Phoenix Raptor Phoenix. effects. We've seen it behind her, even in the fight with Fire Lord, but we haven't seen the whole kind of massive raptor that dwarves whole, you know, planets and, and shines through space. And we definitely get this idea like, whoa, Jean is something really different than we thought she was. She kind of knits the crystal back together. She reopens the gate. They go back to Earth. And this whole space adventure is quite suddenly over after all of this buildup. Mm-hmm. But it has granted us a different understanding of Gene. It's granted us the I, the knowledge of Cyclops' father, which we ha- came totally out of less field. And it brings Lilandra to Earth as a character to play with in this menagerie of X-Men characters. So when I read this issue again, it, it struck me as different from how I remember it. Because I've always remembered it as all the X-Men supporting Phoenix. Which turns out that it is only here in text and not visually represented. But didn't you read it in the classic issue? Because in classic X-Men, all I know. the X-Men do That's why the Phoenix. That's why when I remember it, like the way I remember it is probably because of how many times I read the classic X-Men. Mm. And... And therefore, it's sort of like blurred in my mind that that was actually what happened in the original issues. So when I read this again for this podcast and video, um, I was like, oh, wait, what happened to that? To everyone helping her? And then, and then I realized that, oh, no, that was the, that was the new insert uh, in the classics, in the classic and, X-Men. 
And that's yeah, actually I, also like very interesting story though, right? Like, you know, rather than like, oh, just two characters, like, you know, it just like everyone kind of came together because it feels like a such a, like, as we talked about, this is like a first time, it's like a world ending event. It should be all X-Men working together versus just like, oh, let's just put the most powerful. So I think from that point of view, it actually kind of works the, mm-hmm. what the classic X-Men is doing. I apologize. There's actually a fly over here, so we are not. <laughs> Freya's cat has just completely taken over control of the of the broadcast. Here. Yeah, so we, we're not uh, have like you know be able to move this. <laughs> so the other the other thing too is I mean this is a very Claremont beat like the by our powers combined sort of moment. I I can think of at least three other times in Claremont's run where like one of his characters kind of plays this out. Sometimes it's Storm, yeah. sometimes it's Jean, but we're given a lot more to it in the classic issue. And it's interesting in the classic issue, it's clear that the artist of the fill-in parts is not Byrne, but the, mm-hmm. it's it's I believe the inker is still Terry Austin, and the pages are chopped up, so it's not like some of the other classic X Men issues where there's like one insert page. They've actually like moved panels on the page yeah. to restream it all, and so it actually works really well like it's vague and vague enough that it feels burn-esque and it doesn't totally kind of feel wrong so again i think we have a classic x-men issue that might be the better read than the original issue except i do not like that they visually tease dark phoenix here they give us a full-on gina's dark phoenix and the in the red and gold instead of the green and gold and that i like the narration that from the passion can come either the most wondrous creation or destruction but i just feel like it's cheating to show us the whole dark phoenix now and it robs the impact of it you know 30 issues from now yeah i agree right that part i definitely agree i didn't know dark phoenix and it spoiled me no, it's okay. I know. <laughs> like, All right. Know. So look, but no, but we... but it was it was like you are right. It just like you know, just giving it away. Like it shouldn't happen. Mm. Yeah, it's almost so like dumb. it's almost like he's writing these classic X Men issues for people who have read it already. To, yeah. But you know, but that's we're going to continue to struggle with that for another you know thirty issues worth of backup. So look, mm-hmm. any but, other comments about one hundred and eight before we move into some of these additional stories today? It ended so abruptly. It does end abruptly. Yeah, it does. It ended so abruptly. Like, I had to read it twice to kind of figure out if I hadn't missed anything. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, wait. And then, you know, Lilandra just, just dropped by. It's like, yep, this is where I'm going to be from now on. And I don't know if I quite agreed with that. But no, but they, okay. did give, they did give a good explanation as to why that was the case, right? Yeah, I think there was like um, a certain... Um, one time they met each other or something so it kind of came from that like but i i I mean no sorry they did say that oh no it's because i know they're still figuring out who gets to be the you know the legal thing going like legal legal things and stuff yeah they're still they're still working out the count and and who's gonna get to be in charge yeah yeah, i'm just gonna i'm just stay away well there's some minor story beats here that um we that will come into um, the forefront in a bit. Like Banshee has been shown that he's showing some signs of wear and tear. Yeah, he's getting older and he's getting tired. Um, mm. And then you have just one small flashback, you know, in the in the memory. Well, Corsair's memory that Deacon was the killer of Corsair's wife. Um, so that part comes into play not too much on the forefront, but was later. Do you call it a recon, or do you call it like and something that's added to it? 
in a story that I really don't like. But it's interesting because that's not an inserted panel. Like Claremont straight up has it in the original issue. So Claremont's intent was always because he had to deal with how do you keep Corsair and get rid of uh, the mom is Kate Summers when when we when we know that they were abducted at the same time. So I think he gave himself a little seed here, which then he proceeds to hang a lot more plot on, and then people after him continue to hang a lot. I'm talking about the people after him, not 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 Claremont's insert. It was more like it it gave us the best Summers. Okay, so you know, address your hate mail to Freya and Peter because Vulcan is also my favorite Summers. (laughs) But it was such a pointless. Story to bring Vulcan into the into play. Oh, I, That's the part. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I don't like that st- whole story either. But the thing is, no. But one thing, I, no. I think I was more mostly pointing out like why she gets it, but it's just like the way she says it. It's like, oh, all these things happening, the vote count and stuff. We need to uh, start like our legal team and then yeah. Twitter rage and everything. But in the meantime, um, and I am yours. I don't yeah, get I know. that. <laughs> Where, I don't get that too. Yeah, where did that came from? That is what I'm questioning, you know, because I'm like, okay, where, where, where's, where's that? So well, be- I wasn't sure if you knew, guys knew anything about it. Because in fiction, when they're my touch, and uh, don't they fall in love? Oh, from that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> even in real life, I mind my mind touched with Jonathan Hickman's, and I fell in love. So I understand. Oh you know, what? well, okay. your okay. mind touches his, but his did not touch yours. I think. Shut, <laughs> shut, Tyler. <laughs> shut. So that's little, just... little tiny details. We can. We're, we're still working on that. Okay. Look, we're we're gonna just briefly that. touch briefly on iron fist mm-hmm. 15 before we get into these classic x-men backup issues because iron fist 15 is absolutely the next thing that happens right after this final scene it actually kind of forgives how abrupt this final scene is because it lets us have a little bit more denouement after it burn is drawing it it directly follows this and it starts with iron fist kind of just like in gene's apartment because i guess he's gonna meet misty there misty. but then wolverine comes in and he's like what are you doing here bub and then they have a fight and it just turns into this very kind of light-hearted amusing yeah. but very visually fun fight between mm-hmm. Wolverine and several of the X-Men and Iron Fist and it all turns out that it's a mistake and that oh, we're actually no. all friends and then it turns Seriously? out uh, and oh then it God. turns out that Iron Fist owned the apartment building Love anyway it. so none oh. of the damage matters and everything. Oh, that's so but, much fun. I mean the thing that I sort of was taken aback a little bit because like Wolverine was calling Jean his girl. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I didn't like, read oh. that, by the way, so I'm just going to react oh, yeah, yeah. to it. I'm just going to react to it as if I read, like, a, a clickbait headline. So, yeah. And that is really weird. It's like, because he doesn't really talk about it like that in X-Men. And you no. read this moment, and you're like, what did we just come from? Have I missed some other yeah. issues or something? Like, Wolverine wasn't even part of that whole fight in 108 and he starts out this iron physician you'd be like are you why are you in my girl's apartment <laughs> yeah and then and then you had this moment where where iron fist was like well is he talking about gene because gene is with scott and then is he talking about misty no if he's talking about misty then i'm going to fight him or something like that i was like what so to that to that point, I'm I'm just going to start this head my head canon that you know um, Jean has finally had enough with enough and he she probably read that when that time that Scott called her weakest X Men you know we I didn't even talk about like Jean can read minds like you know and then now she probably had something with Wolverine in the down low you know what girl go for it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so look, if, if you if you ever are reading Uncanny X-Men 108 and you feel that it's somewhat abrupt, that is a sign that you should read Iron Fist 15. Yeah. Iron Fist 15 does have some Iron Fist plot in it, but it is the final issue of Iron Fist because Byrne is moving on to X-Men, as we've discussed. So it kind of just really fits well, especially if you just read Iron Fist 14 to get the mm-hmm. introduction of Sabretooth. Um, it's part of the whole Claremontian universe. But now let's talk about these two classic X-Men issues and their backup stories in classic X-Men 14 and 15. Both of these backups you could have read way, way prior because both of them in terms of continuity fit much earlier than this. And so as you're putting together your X-Men read, sometimes you do have to decide, do I want to get spoiled for something early just because the story fits there or do I want to read it when it was published? And in the case of these two, I actually think they work well reading when they were published alongside the retros of these issues. So mm-hmm. classic issue X-Men issue 14 kind of gives us the details of Xavier's original mind meld with Lalandra, which is way happens way prior to giant X-Men number, uh, giant size X-Men or even prior yeah. to X-Men 96, because it's tied to events that happened in the original silver age run of X-Men. But we play out pretty much Lalandra's side of the story that it's in the middle of her potential escape from her captors. It gives us a big backstory with her and it shows that the mind meld was so complete that actually Xavier was kind of inhabiting her her body for a while and she was confused about why she was a woman and why she was in space and why she had the use of her legs um what did what did we think about this issue i, I kind of just skimmed through it i didn't quite <laughs> pay attention like you, you weren't know, you weren't like, totally uh enraptured by lalandra's story here i mean not yet i mean it's just like you know okay we just saw her and then you know she's like we had all the story with her and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of read through it thinking that, oh, okay, it's going to happen. I mean, it is. Like, I, I wasn't very in- interested in it. Sorry. And to be fair, I don't know that we get a lot of, I don't know how to mm-hmm. say this. I don't know that we get a lot of reasons that it really matters. Exactly. Who Lalandra is or like why. I don't know that she's ever been a super compelling character to read on panel by herself. And so I think that this issue really kind of suffers from that. Yeah. No, but not only that. I think we just know, we already found out enough about her, you know, like through yeah, the, through the flashbacks. Through the, like, I don't yeah, know that we needed a whole story. Exactly. Like, we know, we already know enough about her, who she is, why she was, um, like, you know, she, she rebelled, she was kicked out, and, you know, she had to, like, did all of those things, um, which I guess gave us a good enough reason of why, like, you know, like, and now I need to know, okay, what she's doing forward rather than wanting to go backward. Yeah. But I think she, the the thing that I took away from here is that she handled the whole mind thing much better than Xavier. <laughs> uh, Xavier was like, oh, I'm going mad. I'm going crazy. And she's like, no, something is happening. I'm speaking from a third person. I'm not supposed to be crippled, but yet I felt I'm crippled. She walked herself into the mad lab. She scanned herself to make sure nothing was wrong. She's like, she didn't call, she didn't get on the phone and say, oh, Myra, come look after me. Something is wrong. I mean, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, okay. it's very different. Yeah, from that point of view, I can see that. You know, yeah. points to, points to Lilandra. Yeah, <laughs> And also, I think that this is like Claremont interpolating a lot of 70s space stuff into the Lalandra story from a decade later. I mean, there's definitely a very Princess Leia 
moment mm-hmm. at the beginning where she's like, "You give me that blaster, right? There's mm-hmm. definitely a very uh, Sigourney Weaver and Aliens moment where she scans her own body to try to figure out what's happening. And I just kind of, it, it was interesting to see Claremont not only revising his story from afar, mm-hmm. but bi- but kind of like giving it tropes of the period to make it feel like more of the period, even though he's writing yeah. it later, which he does a lot. And I just think is a really interesting phenomenon. But I don't think there's a whole lot else to say no, about there's it. there's not no. a lot. No. Not as yeah. essential, although the art is really lovely. So it is lovely. Now we have classic 15, the backup story in which is really quite interesting to me, which is the origin of the Starjammers as a group of Starjammers that includes Corsair and also the origin of Corsair's very strange relationship with Hepzibah. Um, and that Corsair basically has just been doomed to be, he was going to be in the human zoo, but instead he gets just to sent mine to mine a bunch of rocks and that he's totally lost his will to live. He's lost his kids. He's lost his wife. And he's just there and nothing matters. And that like meeting these rebels that are there to escape kind of helps him find something in himself where he can just be more than a grub. He's just a grub throughout this whole issue. And it's, again, I don't know that Corsair is so interesting that I wanted to spend an entire issue with him. But because of the journey he goes through in the issue, it's a little bit more interesting to me than the Lalandra issue, which starts out with the Lalandra being interesting. And I don't know that the Professor X thing actually changes Lalandra at all in an interesting mm-hmm. way. Whereas Corsair definitely changes in an interesting way during the story, I think. Yeah. Do you think that? And, no, and then also, like, it kind of gives, like, how they get separated, gives the information of that, like, how yeah. Scott and his brother, what's his name? The Boring Alex. One. Alex. The Boring One. Alex. Yeah, Alex. Alex. Oh yeah, how how Alex and them got separated? So it I don't know if you want to use but, human names or mutant names for you. Oh, either whatever. <laughs> like you know, so how they got separated, and then also like you know how um, uh, like you know everything that happened. Uh, one thing that I was kind of cringing a little bit is that in in this how they show that uh, Kate was murdered just in front of him, but in the flashback that he had in one hundred eight, it actually shows that she was being raped. Like it was kind of done a little bit differently because hmm. you know in the flashback she has like it was like she was actually in her lingerie and then the like it looked hmm. it the the position of it was very messed up so that's but the thing is we also talked about that um, that it we are not sure whether that's a real or not or what what was it what was his worst nightmare so I don't know that 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 part kind of like was like ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, you know, and then it's like, you know, I. Yeah, and unfortunately, of the two, the one that later writers run with is the skeevier one, which is how we get along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right so the thing is like um like you know the one that one the one thing to mention is that um they have like three mutant children and neither of them are mutant so i mean i don't know it was just like how does mutant it, just, it that's something that i always kind of thought about is like how does mutancy actually works because we have seen some cases where one of them is mutant and then you know but then this is like a very rare genetic thing that all neither of them are mutant, but their three children are. Well, look so. at the Guthries. I mean, there's yeah. how many? There's a lot of Guthries, and they're all mutants, right? All the kids, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, it just kind of like also kind of like okay, that's not how genetics work, <laughs> like, you know. So it's like what what's so interesting about the summers that all three of them evolved, but versus like you know. But the thing is like yeah, the the whole like 
not to mention that, you know, I'm just going to sound like a broken record. It's like another incident. I, maybe I should start counter. You know, someone start the counter of like how many times Furia pointed it out. Another incident where the mother is killed, but the father is alive. Yeah, I mean, this is a classic fridge, yeah. right? Let's take the one woman right. in the family and kill her in a such a way to motivate all the boys. Oh my God. And then, you know, <laughs> and then also like knowing that what we know that, you know, that go goes really terribly, like, you know, for Kate. So, you know, it's just like, well there is also um i mean apart from that um you know claremont also inserted something that he wrote for marvel here which is john carter warlord of mars well because he has he has he has corsair reflecting on like that kind of world of a pulp hero and john carter carter before it was a marvel book was just like a standard pulp hero but claremont did also read or write rather john carter so it kind of like is a (laughs) sort of like internal reference kind of thing (laughs) yeah nice yeah And surprisingly, I kind of knew all those, like, because I read so many sci-fi, like, you know, in a, in a, uh-huh. in a year for some reason, I'm like, oh, I know these references. <laughs> so, so there's that as well. And uh, for, some, like, for some strange, sorry. No, I was Go just going to say, like, what is Hepzibah's uh, race? Like, you know, what, she, she's cat. an alien race? She's cat? Yeah, she's yeah, an alien cat. Just, alien cat, like, you know, that just makes uh, Crosshair a furry. That's, like, yeah. gross. <laughs> Even until to this day, because I think now she's kind of drawn in a little bit differently. Like, you know, that just makes her a little bit more alien rather than a... But here yeah. she's Yeah, at the back in the cat. day when you look at how she's originally drawn, she's just like a cat girl. A cat. Whereas yeah. now yeah. she has a v- kind of very specific look mm. to her. Yeah. So, so look, we're about to dive into mm. a pretty aggressive era of X-Men after this, partially because Byrne is there, possibly partially just because the continuity really flies. So Mm. in our next discussion, we're going to be talking about Uncanny X-Men 109 and 110. And there's a bit of a break after 110 where other stuff fits in. So we've already read the backup in Classic X-Men 13 with Misty punching the shark, you might remember, but that actually fits after 110 if you're reading in order. Then we're also going to read the backups in 16 and 17, which were published along with those issues. We might also look at some other backups that fit into this zone. Uh, That includes the Spider-Man, Storm, and Power Man anti-drug issue, a classic if you were ever distributed such things when you were in grade school, and also um, a Marvel team-up issue that includes Havoc. And um, not that we're going to read this together, but if you want to go to the full reading order guide on Crushing Crisis, there's so much more that can be fit in at this point, including the Uncanny X-Men first class series that is kind of more of a kid's comic, because it's the only point that you can get Lalandra on the team and Jean on the team all at the same time before the next big sequence of issues. So if you been saving up anything in your X-Men read that you've been meaning to get to <laughs> after next after our next episode is where to cram them all in. So we will pick back up with Uncanny X-Men 109 next time. And the whole reason we're doing it and the reason we want to pick it up with you is why, Freya? X-Men is better when it's read together. That's right. So we want to thank you so much for listening to another episode of Crushing Comics doing our epic X-Men reread. Please subscribe if you're on a place where you can subscribe, whether it's the audio version or the video version. And also let us know how you're enjoying this reread. Are we coming down a little harder on these issues than you are or a little bit easier on these issues than you are, depending on your love of early Claremont and the introduction of John Byrne. So until next time, this has been Peter, Tyler, and Freya thanking you so much. Be well, and we will see you again for our next episode. Thank you.